0: In 1 Corinthians 12, one through 7 God speaks to us in his word. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mew idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <coughs> Amen. Guys, what's up? How are we doing? Oh, that was pathetic. How are we doing? good. It's, uh, it's good to see you guys. If we haven't met, my name is Josh Curry. I'm one of the pastors. I'm the lead pastor of Frontline Church in downtown OKC. And uh, on behalf of all of our congregations, welcome. Welcome, welcome. I'm really excited to uh, continue on in 1 Corinthians. We've been walking through that book of the Bible for months. And today we're getting to the most pivotal and comprehensive treatment in the New Testament on spiritual gifts. So I hope you're curious. I hope you're interested, I hope you're hungry, and uh, even if you experience resistance, like as you saw those verses pop up, if you got nervous, that can be a really good thing. Let's lean in and see what God would say to us from his word. So I'm gonna pray for you, you guys pray for me, and we're gonna dive into 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for these men and women. I pray that today you would give us tender, open hearts, Give us alert, present minds. We pray that your word would be planted deeply into our souls. We pray that you would shape us and form us. And uh, Father, in a word from your heart about the church being shaped and formed to carry on the ministry of Jesus in the world, I pray that you would do both individual work today and corporate work. Pray that... uh, you would connect us and that you would help us to not be spectators of what you're doing, but to participate. Lord, we love you, we need you. Please come and feed us. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Hey, so I I don't have a ton of regrets in my life, but I do deeply regret that I got my dream car when I was 17 years old. Um, that, That never goes well, especially for dudes. When you're 17 years old, you could fill up almost a thimble with your wisdom And the last thing you need, the last thing you need is to be a 17 year old guy with a glorious 1978 International Scout. Um, Those of you guys that know, know. Those of you guys that don't know, I have a picture. Um, Whoa, that's so beautiful. That's actually not my truck, but my truck was the same year and it looked like that. And it was equally glorious as that. Um, It was garage kept, single owner, 70,000 miles, perfect mint condition and uh, i got it for three thousand dollars it was like a once in a lifetime deal now as a 17 year old i had that truck for literally two months before a snowstorm hit and i thought it would be a really good idea to go tear up the town with my buddy so i called a friend up i'm like hey man let's go ride four-wheel drive do crazy stuff picked up my pal we're driving through oklahoma city in my glorious truck uh, it had such a big engine that if you like put the gas down, the entire front end of the truck would lift off the ground like a motorboat. I loved it. It sounded amazing. And I uttered the words that were the 17-year-old equivalent of hold my beer. I, I looked at my buddy and said, hey, man, watch this. And, and I thought I was about to do like some sort of like Dukes of Hazard stunt. I thought it was going to be glorious. I was going to stick the landing. And we ended up on the side of the road with a completely totaled truck, done. Heartbreaking, thank you for your compassion. Now, like I'm telling you that story because when we get to 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14, I'm just reminded of how many Christians and churches react to one side of the road by wrecking on the other side of the road. And at the end of the day, if you wreck on the side of the road, you're wrecked on the side of the road. It doesn't matter if you're on the left side or the right side. And when it comes to spiritual gifts in the life of the church, we have this propensity to react to things that are unhelpful by doing things that are equally unhelpful. And what happens in churches all the time and what happens in denominations and in the lives of individual Christians is that we can either wreck on the side of the road where we have an unhealthy obsession with spiritual gifts and spiritual gifts become the end all be all of Christianity and our personal experiences can get elevated above the importance of God's word. And we can start to act as if the point of Christianity are particular gifts and experiences more than knowing, loving, and following Jesus. When that happens, we wreck on the side of the road. And in reaction to that, we've probably all in this room experienced churches and maybe our own stories have been shaped by the opposite error, which is being suspicious of spiritual gifts. Thinking that that we can live the Christian life simply with the Bible, but no experience of the spirit. Or, or even at times, to build an entire theological worldview that tries to use the Bible to negate obedience to the Bible. Like the the Bible commands us to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. That's not an option. It's not a choose your own adventure. It's the command of God. And what can happen so often in the life of the church is that we sort of build a construct that denies God's word while pretending to love God's word. And we as a church, as we dive into the next two months of walking through these three chapters, we as a church so badly want to stay on the road. We don't want to ditch on the left, and we don't want to ditch on the right. And we certainly don't want to blame gifts as if the problem is the gifts when the problem is often our ignorance and our user error. And so we as a church desperately want to stay on the road by being a church that 100% loves God's word. Not like 50% word, but all the way committed to learning and believing and teaching and being shaped by and coming under submission to God's word. And at the very same time, it's not contradictory to be a church that 100% wants to love make room for and desire the ministry and presence of God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is not an it. He's not a force. He's not just sort of a vibe or a feeling. God the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, God, God, and his ministry is so essential that Jesus himself was empowered by the person and work of the Spirit to do three years of earthly ministry. How much more so do we need him? So today, take your Bible, go with me. We're gonna look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses one through seven. And where Paul begins his conversation with the Corinthians about spiritual gifts is so essential. He doesn't start by diving into definitions of gifts or how to operate in the gifts or what gifts the church has and what, church, what, what gifts the church is lacking. But Paul begins by wanting the Corinthians to understand the heartbeat of true spirituality. What is it to be a truly spiritual person? What is it to be a truly spiritual church? Look at verse one. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, "Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit." All right, this is really interesting, because the word that Paul uses for spiritual gifts in verse one is not the word that he typically uses. The Greek word that Paul uses there is pneumaticoi, and it's probably the Corinthian's favorite word for spiritual gifts, and it has some ambiguity. Pneumaticoi can refer to spiritual things or spiritual people. And what Paul is saying to the Corinthians to correct them is that truly spiritual people and truly engaging in spiritual gifts is not about a particular miraculous experience, but being a truly spiritual church is about knowing, loving, and following Jesus. What happened in the Corinthian church is that they they started introducing all kinds of designer spiritualities, and we've seen that throughout the letter. They had the spirituality of dividing up between their favorite leaders. That led to pride. They had the spirituality of thinking that they could move past the gospel to Greek wisdom. That resulted in more pride. They thought that they had a perfect experience of the fullness of God's kingdom, that's an over-realized eschatology, the study of end or last things, to such a degree that they became arrogant about their bodies and arrogant about the resurrection of the dead. And what was happening in the Corinthian church as it related to spiritual gifts is that you had Corinthian Christians who were basically saying true spirituality is to have had these particular gifts or these particular miraculous experiences. And for many of them, that particularly revolved around the gift of tongues. So if you're a Christian and you speak in tongues, you're truly spiritual. You're the elite Christian. You're the varsity Christian. And if you don't speak in tongues, you're less than. Now, what I want you to see is that that may not be our particular challenge as a church, but we always struggle with introducing spiritualities into the life of the church that deny true spirituality, which is pure devotion to Jesus, and all of those spiritualities, religious moralism, designer spirituality that takes all kinds of beliefs and tries to build a customized version of God, identity politics, being spiritual but not religious, even the spirituality of not being spiritual all of those result in pride and the one true spirituality that the Bible wants to proclaim as the way, the truth, and the life is spirituality that de-centers us and it centers Jesus and it's a spirituality that only the Spirit of God can give us. You can't love Jesus without the Holy Spirit. You can't repent of sin without the Holy Spirit. You can't be born again without the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit does is he enables Christians to make the most fundamental and ancient confession of the church. Three words, Jesus is Lord. So friends, listen, I hope that we become a robustly spirit-filled church. I hope that part of that's connected to earnestly desiring spiritual gifts. I want God to heal more people. I want God to anoint us to love each other. I want him to empower us to love our city. I want God to raise up evangelists. I wanna see more miracles. I want the gift of prophecy to surrender and submit to the Bible and to be used in ways that edify and build up the church. I want more people in our church that speak in tongues. I want God to give more dreams. I want God to raise up teachers and administrators, and people with the gift of mercy. I want all that to happen, but at the end of the day, if we become a more spiritual church, the truest and greatest mark of that will be that we love Jesus more. It'll be that we obey Jesus more. It'll be that we're growing in holiness to look like Jesus more. True spirituality is about loving, following, and obeying Jesus. Now, it's really important that we don't stop there because that's not where Paul stops. And what happens in a lot of churches is we get that part right. and We say, all right, true spirituality is about the gospel. We want to get the gospel right and grow in love for Jesus. And we stop and don't read the rest of the next three chapters. That's not where Paul stops. What Paul wants is for the Corinthian church on the foundation of Jesus— To grow in understanding, experiencing, desiring more of the person and work of the Holy Spirit in their midst. That they would have an elevated expectancy and an elevated thirst for God to move among them. So what he's going to do in these first seven verses is really important. If this is your first time studying spiritual gifts, this is the foundation. If this is your 50th time thinking about gifts of the Holy Spirit, I want you to come back to these because over the course of the next two months, everything that we're going to talk about is rooted and grounded in four really important truths, four really important truths. Let me give them to you. Number one, first of all, spiritual gifts are manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Spiritual gifts are manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 7. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Here's what Paul is saying The gifts of the Holy Spirit are, are not abstract things or powers external to the Holy Spirit. If you think of spiritual gifts as like a substance that the Spirit of God gives you apart from his presence, or like fairy dust that he sprinkles on particular Christians, or as packages that he gives you to open that are abstracted from him, you're constantly gonna wrestle with the true nature of spiritual gifts. And what Paul is saying that's so liberating and important for us to hear is that gifts of the Holy Spirit are nothing less than God the Holy Spirit working in the lives of Christians. They're manifestations of the Spirit. Here's how Sam Storms puts it in his helpful little book, beginner's guide to spiritual gifts. Sam writes, this is Paul's way of saying that the spirit is himself made manifest or visibly evident in our midst whenever the gifts are in use. Spiritual gifts are the presence of the Holy Spirit himself coming to relatively clear, even dramatic expression in the way that we do ministry. Gifts are God going public among his people. Now, this is really important. This means a couple of things. It means, first of all, that there's a sense in which to resist the gifts of the Holy Spirit, to be skeptical and suspicious, to stiff-arm the gifts of the Holy Spirit, is actually a way in which we can grieve and resist the Spirit of God himself. Now, I have a lot of friends that are cessationists. That's a whole camp in the Christian world that believes that especially demonstrative or revelatory gifts have ceased with the canonization of scripture. We're we're gonna talk about why that's not what the Bible teaches over the next couple of weeks. And I, I love those guys. I think they love the Bible and they love Jesus. And I don't think they would ever intentionally want to resist the Holy Spirit. But if gifts of the Holy Spirit are God being manifested in our presence, and we're suspicious of gifts or resistant to gifts or fail to earnestly desire gifts, that's a way in which we're actually being resistant not to a thing, but to a person, to the person of God. We wanna be a church that not only loves God's word, but we wanna love the Holy Spirit. And here's one of the things I love about you guys. The culture of Frontline Shawnee cares a lot about hospitality. You you guys want to break bread together as a church. You want to eat together. You want to open up your homes and welcome in your community group and your neighbors. And you even feel hospitable on Sunday morning. Like you want non-Christians and people that have walked away from the church and people that are hurting and struggling and people that don't believe, you want them to feel the welcome of God's church when you get together. And I love that. Even our time of welcoming each other, you guys could have gone for 45 minutes, hugging necks and hanging out and being together. And all of that is good and right and essential. The gospel is God's hospitality to us. But here's the thing, the most important act of hospitality in the life of the church is to actually be hospitable to God, to wanna welcome his presence, to wanna welcome his work, to welcome his voice. I don't want to be really hospitable to people and really cold towards God because the thing that makes the church different than an organization or a club or just another thing that human beings put together is that God's with us. God's with us. He's present and he's here. Now, there's a tension here that I want to name for you, and it's really important, and you need both sides of this tension. The first part of the tension is that if you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Can can I get an amen from somebody? You don't have to get the Holy Spirit to show up. If you're a born again believer, the Spirit of God lives inside of you. He's with you not just on Sunday morning, but he's with you all seven days of the week. If you're a stay at home mom and tomorrow morning, you're gonna be wrestling with three toddlers and just solidifying your commitment to believing in total depravity, the Spirit of God is with you in that moment. As you go to work, he's with you. As you go to class, he's with you. He's not gonna leave you. He's not gonna forsake you. To be a Christian is to be indwelt by the spirit of God. That means you don't have to hold your face just right. You don't have to have a certain vibe to get God to be here. Uh, His presence among us is not dependent upon the passionate loudness of our singing or how hyped we feel or a worship leader doing the right pad under our prayer time. None of that makes the Holy Spirit show up. If you're a Christian, he's here before you got here and he lives inside of you. And that's good news. There's this moment in the Old Testament where There's a showdown between the prophet of God and the prophets of Baal. And the prophets of Baal are trying to get their false God to show up and they just just go crazy. They're like chanting and dancing and cutting themselves with swords and stabbing themselves with spears and blood's going everywhere as they work themselves into a frenzy trying to get their fake God to show up. That is not Christianity. (laughs) You don't have to do anything to get God to show up. God is present as we gather, he's present as we scatter, and that should create your confidence for him to lead you and convict you and empower you and help you. But at the very same time, the tension of that truth is that it is right, it is good, and it is biblical to desire more of the manifest presence of God in our lives and in our church. And the very same people, this is wild to me, the very same people that were filled by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 are filled afresh by the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 4. We need more of him, more experience of him, more tenderness to him. And when you see moments in the life of the church where the manifest presence of God increases, what tends to happen is God starts to change hearts and to do powerful things that we could never do apart from his spirit i'd commend to you guys uh the works of jonathan edwards they're they're a little bit dense and hard to read but so wonderful and so brilliant and one of the things i love about his works is that he was writing in a time of an increased manifestation of god's presence among the church that we now call the great awakening And the stories around the Great Awakening are crazy. Like little old church ladies that had been in church their entire lives, so overwhelmed by the holiness of God and the goodness of God that they literally would like run to the front, elbowing people out of their way to get on their knees and to repent of sin and to trust in Jesus. You have stories of people so overwhelmed with the presence of God, they thought they were gonna die. They were like, I can't take anymore. Your goodness is too heavy. It's too weighty. See, if gifts of the Spirit are manifestations of the Spirit, they're not the only way we should experience more of God, but they're one of the ways. And what people in our city need is not your clever ideas or my clever ideas or killer marketing or the perfection of our programs. Like, all those things have their place. But at the end of the day, what the world needs is to encounter the living God. We need God. We need help, we need to repent of sin, we need freedom from bondage, we need power, we need love. And one of the things that's so helpful about being in a moment with institutions crumbling and resistance to Christianity and all kinds of deconversion stories is that those of us that are trying to follow Jesus have a fresh reminder that we need him and his power more than anything. We need him. So number one, first foundational truth. Spiritual gifts are manifestations of the spirit. They're not things. They're God ministering in and through his people. Number two, quickly, in addition, spiritual gifts display God's beauty in unity and diversity. Look at verse four. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Varieties of gifts, varieties of service, varieties of activities, but it's the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the same Lord, Jesus, the same God, God the Father. Here's what Paul is doing. It's really powerful. Paul is saying the unity and diversity of gifts in the church is a reflection of the unity and diversity of God, who is one God unity, in three persons, beautiful diversity, who loves to distribute gifts of the Holy Spirit in ways that reflect his manifold wisdom and glory. And this is really powerful because you and me have a propensity as humans towards cookie cutters and assembly lines and wanting everything to be the same towards uniformity. But the church is not called to uniformity, it's called to unity in diversity. God is the God that doesn't make two snowflakes that look alike. God's the God that creates over eight billion people on the planet that have unique fingerprints. God's the God that doesn't give one gift. He distributes many gifts, and he doesn't give any one Christian all the gifts to remind us that we need each other. This is really important because in the church, there are no every gift Christians, and there are no no no-gift Christians. And we can so easily fall into the trap of projecting our gifts and wishing everybody was like us, that's pride. Or in thinking everybody's more gifted than us, that's insecurity. And the invitation of God in unity and diversity is to realize that he sovereignly distributes gifts and he gives different people different gifts to reflect the unity and love of the church and the varied ministries of God to build the church. There is unity and diversity. Unity and diversity. Thirdly, thirdly, spiritual gifts are for the common good. So they're manifestations of the spirit. They reflect God's beauty in unity and diversity. And thirdly, they're for the common good. Look again at verse 7. For to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good, not for our identity. Spiritual gifts don't form our identity. Our identity is found in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Spiritual gifts are not about building our brand or our platform. They're not about earning. They're not about achieving. They're not about showing off. Spiritual gifts are ultimately not even about us. They're about glorifying God by serving others, building others up. And so often what can happen in the church is that we can start to think that our gifts are about us and we get stressed when our gifts aren't received or we try to impose our gifts on other people. And what Paul is saying here that's so important is that spiritual gifts are gifts of God's grace, gifts of his grace, not, not earning, not rewards, but grace. And the reason he gives that grace is so that we can glorify Jesus by loving each other. They're for the common good. For the common good. And then, lastly, number four, fourth foundation as we dive into this, number four, all Christians are gifted. Look again at verse seven. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is so important. One of the most powerful things that God did during the Reformation was to restore to the church the priesthood of the believer. What had happened throughout the ages was that the church started believing in this really unbiblical divide between the clergy and the laity. And the priesthood in the church, the clergy, were almost endued with magical powers. They were the ones that were really holy, that were really important. It was their work in saying the right thing over the mass that conferred grace on people. And the rest of the people were just sort of spectators to the priesthood. And what started to happen is even the people that were showing up had no idea what was even being said. They didn't speak the language of the mass. And all of a sudden, you had really important priests and really unimportant Christians. And one of the things that God restored to the Reformation was the reality that that divide is not biblical, that God has called every single believer and God has gifted every single believer to the work of ministry. And the work of pastors, the work of leaders in the church is not to do all the ministry. It's not for Ben to be a super Christian that does everything. The job of leaders in the church, according to Ephesians chapter four, is to equip the saints so that the people of God can figure out what their talents and their gifts and their burdens and their assignments from God are so that all can be ministers, all can be priests. What I want you to get is that in our moment, man, We're so prone to thinking of church as a crowd and elevating a particular gift or personality to this place of like really unhelpful celebrity status and thinking that everybody else just shows up or having 20% of the people in the church that are doing 80% of the ministry. And what Paul is writing to the Corinthians that could be so liberating for us is that every single Christian, no matter what your job is, stay at home moms, baristas, teachers, professors, administrators, whatever your job is, every single Christian has received gifts and every single Christian is a minister and every single Christian is important for the health and life of the church. Everybody is. I think it would be a profound shift and a profound witness to the gospel for this church to grow in every member experiencing a renewed commitment to the responsibility we have to steward what God's given us. Let me just mention just a few things to you. Every one of you in this room were given talents at birth from the sovereign king of the universe. Talents. And those are gifts. And you're to steward them and use them. And every single one of you, subsequent, subsequent to conversion, were given spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. Now, that doesn't mean that you received all the gifts you'll ever have at conversion. Uh, We see all over the Bible that gifts are given subsequent to conversion as well, and they should be prayed for and asked for. Every single one of you has been given unique gifts, unique experiences, and unique talents, and every single one of us will give an account to God for how we steward those things. Bud Wilkinson, the football coach, Described football like this. He said, I define football as 22 men on the field desperately needing rest and 22,000 fans in the stadium desperately needing exercise. Okay, like, sadly, that's way too often a description of the local church. It's a few people that do all the ministry and a lot of people that believe the lie that they're there to spectate and to watch. And what I want God to do over the course of the next eight weeks is to give us a deeper delight in the wisdom of God that every single one of us is essential for the building up of the body, every single one of us is a part of the mission of God, and every single one of us has been given talents and gifts to steward for the glory of God and the good of others, to not spectate, to not spectate. Now, some of us have no idea what our gifts are, And the next eight weeks, I think are gonna help you to pray and to wrestle and to discern. Some of us have gifts that we've received and because you got hurt in the church or disappointed or discouraged, you've laid those gifts down. And Paul's writing to Timothy is really timely that you should fan into flame the gifts that have been given you. Don't neglect them, but stir them up. Others are just gonna be invited into a season of trying a lot of things till you figure out the way that God's gifted you. Um, if you open the Bible to teach or you're a community group and everybody walks away confused and contemplating being Buddhist, you may not have that gift, right? It's like, ah, I think I missed that. But listen, like, if, if you're that person that no matter how difficult the odds are, you can step in and you just have profound grace and faith to bring mercy to difficult people and difficult circumstances, what is that? What's well, That's God helping you figure out who you are and how you're gifted. Others are called to lead. Others are called to administration. All of us are called to build each other up in love. So I wanna wanna do something. I wanna take a second and invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you would, will you just respond as you need to to God? Maybe a great response for some of us would just be acknowledging that we haven't earnestly desired spiritual gifts and to repent. I suspect there's a lot of us in here that have stepped out in faith to try to use our gifts and through our immaturity or the immaturity of others, we got discouraged, we got disappointed, we got hurt. And now we're playing it small and we're being self-protective. Hey, you can acknowledge that to God today and say, hey, I I don't want to hide. Others just have no idea, like how do I even fit and what do I do? So God, I just pray for these men and women that you would give us an eager, expectant, sense of benevolent responsibility to exercise the gifts and ministries you've given us for the common good. With the way we speak to each other, the way we touch each other, the way we care for each other, the way we scatter between Sundays, I pray, Lord Jesus, that there would be an increased level of just holy awareness that you're inside of us and you're not asking us to do any ministry Apart from you. I pray that for moms in the room, that you would give them a renewed confidence that you're in them and you give wisdom and you give strength. Lord, we pray throughout this city as our community groups gather this week that you would do really deep formative work, that you would help us to be biblical, give us understanding of gifts, and help us to be people of the spirit that don't resist grieve or thwart what you're doing or quench what you're doing but invite you and welcome you so Lord would you have your way in this church would you get all the glory would you make us a truly spiritual church that loves Jesus obeys Jesus and follows Jesus we ask all this in the name of Jesus and everybody said amen can we stand together (coughs)